Hello, 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 and welcome to the Five Things Podcast. I am Joey Scarillo. I am back from a long vacation in Hawaii, and uh, I'm rested and I'm ready to rock and roll today. I am here with Amanda and Juliana, and just want to say before we get started, great job the last two weeks being two two-handers. Amanda, you did both. They were fantastic. Two weeks ago, Amanda and Juliana, awesome episode. I listened to it while walking down the beach of Hawaii. It was fantastic. Um, so we are here again to do the five things where we deep dive into five topics from social media, share our takeaways for the week, and let you walk away as smarter marketers. Uh, this week on the show, we are talking about Reddit, uh, launched a TikTok-like video feed. Uh, Twitter redesigns their redesign due to audience backlash. Can't wait to hear about that. Yik Yak is Yik Back. I, I don't know what I just said. And Instagram <laughs> has a new campaign celebrating diversity and creativity of its users. And last but not least, uh, we will talk about how teenagers are cashing in on the NFT boom. Get that money. All right. Uh, Juliana, kick us off with Reddit. I would love to. As someone who had to literally block Reddit from most of my uh, internet devices because I burned many hours on there, uh, it's really exciting to see that they're doing new stuff. So uh, this has been happening kind of quietly in the background where Reddit has been sort of unrolling this update to its iOS app where now underneath the search bar, you'll see that there's a video feed button. And when you press it, you know, when you're within a specific subreddit, you'll see a feed of videos that are kind of either posted to that Reddit, or you can also from there, once you're kind of locked into this um, you know, full screen feed, can be shown content from related subreddit. So say you're on the pottery subreddit and you're scrolling through videos from there, you'll also get things from like bookmaking or crafts. And so, of course, you know, as we said, every app is every app. This is obviously Reddit's uh, attempt to kind of claim some ownership in the space that TikTok has really seen boom, that we've seen Reels also make very popular. And Reddit has been experimenting with this format really actually over the last year, you know, trying to find a way to allow people to be able to um, you know, more easily access, more easily view videos that they're scrolling through their feed. And, you know, it's very exciting just from the kind of mindset of, Reddit obviously operates a little bit more so as, you know, kind of a classic, almost live journal bloggy type where it's a lot of conversation. It's a lot of, you know, written uh, discussion, you know, memes, videos and things like that, but kind of more so people reacting to it. So the idea of someone kind of being able to almost more passively be able to just enjoy content on Reddit will be very intriguing as far as what the user base will do in response to this. And if they actually really kind of pick it up as, um, as we've seen in those other apps. And then also just really intriguing to see the ability for people to be able to discover subreddits they aren't already on, which is kind of one of the bigger difficulties that Reddit has, where basically if you know about a subreddit, that's great, but there's no kind of existing directory to be able to explore those spaces. And so this will be a great opportunity for people to learn that there's something that, you know, perhaps they have interest in and then start following that subreddit as well. And then ideally, you know, boosting their level of engagement, the amount of time spent on site. So you know, on its surface, am I super duper crazy about there being another video format uh, within an app? That's not really for me to talk about. 
But it will be intriguing as far as the ability for, you know, of course, marketers to be able to get involved in this space and then also what this will mean for Reddit's user base and the way that the app is used in the next coming months. What I'm interested to find out, Juliana, is actually how all of these different video uh, players on every different app are going to eventually um, differentiate themselves and what kind of content will be more TikTok content, what type of content will be Instagram content, and eventually what type of content will be Reddit content. I think that will really... Um, it'll, it'll sort of work itself out as every app becomes a video app. And I'm interested, too, to see how marketers play differently in each one of these spaces. Um, Amanda, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I agree. And I think this is actually a pretty good application of this video feed being added into a platform where they're understanding the barrier of entry of why users aren't using the platform or aren't using the platform as much. It's not as visually stimulating, but also understanding how can they have more of the same content that users are going to Reddit for, but in a different format. So for instance, it's not like they're trying to pull TikTok content creators onto the platform and make dance videos. That doesn't seem like the application that they're going for with this. It more seems like when you're having conversation, to use your example, Juliana, about pottery, you can now add a video that gives you obviously a little bit more of a view into content that can be in the the realm that you're already looking for. So it's more of the existing user behavior in a different format. I see this application versus how Instagram is kind of trying to pull TikTok creators there. So I think this could be be a really useful addition to the app, but we'll, we'll see if people actually pick it up. And also, admittedly, I don't have the Reddit app, as mentioned. I have an addiction and I need to curb it in all the ways that I can within my own control. But it'll be intriguing to understand kind of, you know, some of the, the rules and regimens around it. Because to your point, you know, Amanda and Joey, is it going to have the same like three minute limit as current TikTok? Or is it going to be shorter like a Reels? Or is it going to kind of adapt into like a YouTube Shorts type of thing? And if it does, does that allow things like an Ask Me Anything to now have a video component? And just really interesting to see like how this will make, to your point, Amanda, a more dynamic app. And more importantly, like when you when you realize that you can't post, say, like the same thing as a TikTok video to Reels, which has like a little bit more of an easy um, exchange, but to Reddit, you know, there's kind of the a little bit more scrutiny, a little bit more of kind of a, a jadedness to, to content that doesn't seem perhaps like authentic or cool within that space. So, yeah, we really intriguing to see how you can adapt into that space if you are trying to make a spread across all of those platforms and also what it will be like to be able to you know see people who are typically anonymous behind text. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be really interesting. Someone who has the Reddit app and better time management should tell me how it goes. <laughs> yes, indeed. I feel like with Reddit, uh, I never, I never find Reddit. Reddit always finds me. I'll like search something and then next thing I know I'm on Reddit, but I'm never mad about it. Um, okay. Speaking of being mad, uh, Twitter had a redesign. The internet spoke and they redesigned again. So Amanda, please break it all down. Tell us about it. All right. So Twitter redesigned their redesign. You heard that correctly. They originally rolled out a new design across not only the browser, but the mobile app that has a couple of different features. They had a new color scheme. They had a new font that they created in-house specifically for the platform. Some other changes, they changed the color of the follow and the unfollow button. Um, 
And after they announced this and launched this to its users, they got a lot of uh, negative feedback. A lot of people said that the changes caused headaches, it had reduced readability, it made users experience migraines or eye strain. Um, and so this, I think, was a little bit of a surprise to Twitter, who in their statement, they basically were saying that they, they made all these changes from an accessibility lens. They created higher contrast. They changed the way that uh, users read text on their screen, the way that it's aligned, and the way that it shows up on the platform. And I think what's really interesting about this is, while, yes, they made these changes in the vein of trying to make their platform more accessible to some, the reality is accessibility is a spectrum. Um, this was really well thought out and well designed, but it was made for one part of the spectrum, not all of it. And I think this has opened up a really interesting conversation. You know, it's it's almost impossible to make something that works for everybody on the spectrum of accessibility. And I, I, I honestly don't think we would be having this conversation maybe two, three, five years ago around accessibility and what that looks like. So I think the big takeaway here for, for brands, for marketers, for Twitter, who has received this feedback actually really well received, um, is that you really kind of have to give people the tools to make something work for their accessibility and for their specific needs. It's not going to be a one size fits all for everybody. It's not going to be, you know, the same accessibility hurdles for every user on the platform. So I think Twitter's learning this. I hope that other platforms are learning this too. And I think for brands and marketers thinking about the spectrum of accessibility when you're creating content and how do you actually give your audience the ability to toggle things to make them, you know, work for themselves. So it's not a terrible redesign in that it's a lost cause. I think we'll continue to see updates iteratively understanding the accessibility audience on the platform. And we'll learn some, we'll learn some updates that maybe other brands and platforms can use. Have you guys seen the new the new font and the new redesign? So I keep trying to find just like kind of a almost dribble like, you know, layout of every single thing that's changed, but have yet to see that yet. My only thing, though, is I think the biggest kind of uh, hurdle for Twitter is that they're the only app where you can directly at the creator of it and say, I hate the thing you did. <laughs> so they're definitely opened up to a lot more of that direct feedback from people because I agree to your point, you know, while making sure that the accessibility is as kind of far reaching as possible is done, I think is a noble effort for Twitter to be trying to explore. I think it's also important to be mindful that some of the people that are perhaps upset about the change are upset because it changed. And if you're trying to do this redesign specifically from the point of what will make this a more inclusive app for everyone and not does everyone actually like Helvetica or Times New Roman, I think if you stay kind of true to the course of the former, then you can ensure that even if people are complaining, eventually they'll get over it. You know, they changed the, I think, what was it like a thumbs up before it was a heart? I can't even remember what it was, the, the previous form of the like button. So it just goes to show, you know, people will this won't stop anyone from using the app. So I think it's just really important to really focus on that goal of accessibility, especially when the overarching goal is how can we make a space more inclusive? Okay. So guys, big news. Yik Yak is Yik Back. Again, I have no idea what I just said. I, Juliana, please, please enlighten me. Yeah. I mean, Joey, do you have no familiarity with Yik Yak? Let's start there. I, Okay. I kind of remember it just by name only, but it's been so long 
that I, I truly, truly do not remember it. Uh, so tell me what it is and why it's back and all the fun I things. I would absolutely love to. Everyone's preferred outlet for locally sourced grassroots cyberbullying, Yik Yak, is finally back for reasons that even the people behind it don't know. So Yik Yak was first launched in 2017. It had a very short kind of runtime. Or my apologies. Yik Yak was first launched in 2013. It had a very short runtime. It ended up folding around 2017, 2018. Um, and it had this kind of boon where at a point it was valued at over $400 million. It had 200 million active users. It was this really popular app. And the way that it worked, it was, it was anonymous. And you could only be able to interact with and share thoughts with people who were within a five-mile radius of you. So it then allowed for people to have these kind of like local, anonymous, almost community boards um, where individuals could just kind of post, you know, random thoughts about a restaurant or ask, Hey, like, is, are any parties happening tonight? You know, it just kind of allowed for people to be able to have these very specific conversations with people who are, you know, geographically near enough that they can then say like act on it or be able to understand the reference. And it was very popular with college students, obviously, you know, and it was also very popular with high school students and younger and yik yak kind of as you can assume, being an anonymous app, uh, while it had the benefit of people being able to, you know, like post jokes and like uh, and post inquiries and be able to kind of, you know, speak freely, it also ended up having a lot of controversies with things like cyberbullying, with harassment, with people, you know, being able to post like, you know, threats to a school and you are now a little bit more heightened because based on how the app works, they have to live near you. And in 2017, a couple of um, you know, groups, you know, feminists, former students um, at the University of Mary Washington in Virginia, they were accusing the university and its former president and you know, a variety of other people that were kind of higher up within the, the university of failing to protect uh, female platons uh, who were uh, making accusations of sexual violence because you know, Yik Yak was able to kind of run rampant and people were being able to, uh, you know, make terrible statements about the people who were leveling these accusations. And so essentially the way that it worked was, you know, while Yik Yak isn't associated with the schools, it's close enough and works specifically enough with those spaces that essentially why aren't the people who are at the head of these universities protecting, you know, uh, victims from what Yik Yak is allowing or what Yik Yak essentially is allowing to be done to them. So again, it was just embroiled in a lot of controversy and eventually had to shutter its doors because it was just too hard for Yik Yak to really be able to defend, you know, against all of these accusations that it was this kind of great space for fomenting <laughs> violence against others. And now for reasons that literally don't know, they're back. Uh, Yik Yak 2.0 is available for download if you go on whichever app store. Uh, you want. And it's basically the way that they view it is, you know, this is a great opportunity for people to be able to, you know, really get reintegrated with the communities. A lot more people are at home. So being able to speak, you know, with people who are around you and perhaps going through similar things uh, will be intriguing. College students are, you know, getting back on campus now. Uh, high school students are, you know, in person is a little bit more popular than it was back in 2020. So thinking this is a really interesting time to reintroduce it. But What's really intriguing, at least to me, is knowing that we're in this moment where so many apps are taking response or so many social media spaces rather are taking a lot of responsibility for 
what people are able to post on their pages and you know what this means for the kind of value system of the people behind the app. The fact that Yik Yak, notorious for their hands-off approach, has decided that now is the time to come to the forefront is mind-boggling and so beautiful. And I'm just so intrigued. So now you know Yik Yak. Love to hear your thoughts. I can see this going two very, very opposite directions. If Yik Yak, you know, is is very um, committed to creating a safe and inclusive space, sure, this this could be a very nice place for people to have honest conversation and connect with people around them. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a, a wild guess and assume that perhaps they are not prepared to do that, as in most social platforms are still figuring it out themselves. It could be a really dangerous place for conversation, which we, you know, thinking about where we were in 2013 to 2017 versus where we are in 2021 and 2022, it gives me a little bit of pause to think that maybe they are at capacity to handle this. Um, I, we will see. I personally don't have a lot of faith in it right now. And that could be me being pessimistic. It could be. Um, well, I, I think it's cool that the app came back. Um, to me, that gives me a little hope, maybe cross your fingers that Vine and MySpace could come back. Um, no, but I, uh, I, I think this is exciting. I think this is a good time for it. And, um, yeah, I think, um, Yik Yak is back in, in full force. So good, good luck to them. Anything else on that? Um, Okay. No, I would just say, you know, it'll be really interesting to see, especially now that there's a lot more spaces for people that are kind of wanting to become like micro influencers and build their own social following. If it'll just be a wall of people promoting themselves on you know TikTok and Instagram and all of that stuff, because to Amanda's point, we are in a very different space in all ways, politically, socially, the way that we relate to um, our social media presences, online presences. Uh, you know, now than we were at the time of Yik Yak. So again, also be very intriguing to see how it's used, if it is just used as like a, essentially a community board, or if it is a way of kind of, again, allowing people to, to build their own uh, platform, or if the anonymity will be something that's valued. Yeah. Excellent. All right. So let's jump over to Instagram. Um, they, this is a, you know, cool little story, but they have a new promotional campaign. Um, that's celebrating diversity for their creators and their audience. And um, it's, um, it's a great little, it's a great little campaign. Um, What they're saying in, in this promotional push is that we, who we become is yours to make. That seems to be the, the thread throughout this campaign and the campaign features um, prominent Instagram, um, influencers and all the photography is done by Bella Newman. And, um, in preparation for this, I was looking at her Instagram and her photography is awesome. And these portraits are really cool. They're fun. Um, it's a great way to show off, um, some of the creators and show off the diversity. Um, and, you know, I think this is a great play for, for Instagram, you know, especially bouncing off of, um, you know, we talked about on the show how they introduced pronouns a few months ago. Um, and Instagram has expanded its limits and the DM filter tool. So 
I think this is great for Instagram. This, you know, it's really hard to, to talk about this campaign. I think folks need to just check it out. But when you, when you look at these photos and when you look at this campaign, you really see, um, a, a skew towards the younger creators and interest in, um, you know, all different types of, of people on Instagram. And I think it's just a great inclusive, um, way of, of showing off all the, all the different folks that are creators on, on the platform. I don't know if there's much more to say, but I'm interested to hear what you guys think. Did you get to check out the campaign? Yeah. And I, I think this is a great campaign. And, and what's really interesting about it is it's Instagram saying to its brands and to its users that the users and the creators on the platform are the lifeblood of the platform. It's not Instagram making things for Instagram's sake. It's understanding, again, the creativity of the users, the people who are making content. Like That's why people use the app. That's why people open it up. That's why brands find success there. And I think them doubling down on that to show other brands how they can do the same is kind of them putting you know, their money where their mouth is. Yeah, they called this a rallying cry of progress, optimism, and reinvention. And they're denouncing going back to normal, which... Um, I think is, is a great way to move forward. Um, Juliana, what do you think? I, I, I think it's very intriguing specifically because I think that, you know, just a couple of episodes ago, you know, feel free to go through the backlog, but we were talking about how you have some countries that are saying, you know, if you're editing your photos on social media, you have to call that out because it creates a very toxic space for people and it can, you know, foment to use that word twice today foment these feelings of kind of inadequacy in, in especially younger people. So I find it really intriguing, the specific choice of Instagram to kind of show that there's like realness and authenticity on the app, because I do think it's largely equated with this idea of kind of superficiality and what you see is not what you get. So I do think it's a very interesting choice for them to kind of celebrate what they're not known for. Um, and it'll be It'll be interesting to me, to your point, you know, recognize kind of one, it's recognizing that Instagram's becoming more of a creator space and you know, that's great, but also will be intriguing to see if this is kind of one chapter in Instagram trying to show that it's not perhaps what we've always thought it to be and that it's perhaps more than we thought it to be. And this idea of, you know, we're never going back saying that so much has changed over the p- past couple of years uh, that Instagram as well kind of needs to adapt to the status quo. If that's what is being started here, that's awesome. Um, but it was just something very unexpected. Yeah. And it feels it, the, the anthem and the, and the language feels maybe it's just in my head, but it feels very focused towards Gen Z, which I think is an interesting play. And I know we've talked about it before, uh, for Instagram because, maybe maybe it's just the way it's perceived in my head and i'm sure others is that instagram was typically you know a millennial space and tiktok was typically a gen z space and so i feel like this is instagram sort of dipping dipping uh further into the gen z and bringing them along on board you do you guys feel that do you do you agree i just feel like it has such like a natural space right now as far as like, yes, you know, TikTok is very much the Gen Z space. And I think there is kind of the, the kicking of like, you know, you like who I am on TikTok and then on Instagram, you kind of just get to see me in like a museum of my greatest moments. 
So I do think it always has like a natural kind of balance to that. So, you know, I don't think Instagram's ever been at a detriment <laughs> for, for uh, getting users, uh, but I can see that the, perhaps the idea of it needing to be a little bit more real and raw is something that will appeal to this group. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of Gen Z, we're going to transition now over to our fifth and final thing. The teens, they are cashing in on the NFT art boom. Get that money. Amanda, take us home. I've never heard transition before, but I really enjoyed that. Um, So on that note, this is less of a platform update and more of just kind of a, a social conversation that's happening right now. So NFTs obviously had their big moment earlier this year. Um, a New York Times article just came out that's really spotlighting a lot of the teenagers in Gen Z that are taking advantage of this NFT craze and actually creating this community within the art world that, you know, maybe they're doing on the side. It's an after school hobby. It's maybe like kind of a fun thing that they're doing as artists. But the reality is it's kind of similar to the way that, you know, teens are using TikTok and that you can create content. You can kind of go viral. You can get find success. You can find brand partners. You can find income through this initially like inaccessible world of art to now becoming totally democratized, totally taken down the walls of getting into the art world and understanding how you become kind of a full-time artist or a full-time entrepreneur here. So it's been interesting. You know, when we think about the NFT initial craze, obviously is, is dying down and I see that more as, as the novelty phase of the NFTs. People were making NFTs just to say they weren't NFT and, and headlines were kind of coming from that direction. But when we think about the future and especially around like, you know, how, how brands and, and marketers can kind of apply this, there's kind of a new cultural conversation happening. You know, there's an opportunity to foster a community the way that this Gen Z world of NFT artists have done. There's a new world around gaming and esports that hasn't been tapped into. There's a new application for film and entertainment. I think I read that Anthony Hopkins' new film is supposedly an NFT. So I think the big takeaway here is that, I know Juliana gave me a crazy face when I said that, and it's true, look it up. The big takeaway here is that we've kind of surpassed the novelty phase of NFTs, and there is some really interesting applications that kind of help democratize worlds that have maybe been a little bit tougher to get into. And of course, Gen Z, you know, being a little bit younger, coming into different communities with a new perspective, like they're going to take advantage of this. So I'm excited to see where this goes. I think NFTs are not something that we heard about in 2021 and we'll never hear about again. It it really will change the way that a lot of these communities operate. I'm so jazzed on this. More skateboards in the Met, as far as I'm concerned. What I also think is really intriguing about the point you're making on democratization is thinking about all the kind of spaces, the regular apps that are kind of you know already integrated in especially younger people's lives that had started to explore what they could do from an NFT angle. So, you know, we spoke again to keep referencing that backlog. Uh, the fact that Instagram is now allowing for people to be able to explore um, artists' NFTs on the app and, you know, trying to find a way to integrate that more. So again, just thinking about now how much easier it is if you do want to, you know, have your art be shareable in that platform or sellable in that in that space, you know, being able to just look at an app you already use and learn to flex with that versus, you know, if it wasn't on Instagram, if you asked me to upload an NFT in the next 20 minutes, I wouldn't exactly know how to do so. So yeah, I definitely, I'll admit I was part of the camp that was kind of like, 
why is digital art happening in this way? Um, you know, it kind of seemed like it was everywhere than nowhere. But yes, I do think there's a lot of really interesting staying power. And I think one thing to explore, especially as you're like you know, for smaller brands or smaller marketers, is see what spaces are already kind of like carving out a way to engage with NFTs versus trying to reinvent the wheel. And then just see if it's something that you can adapt into versus, you know, saying I'm either a part of it by building something in order to be a part of it or I'm not in it at all. Yeah, it's definitely one of those kind of subcultures where it doesn't need it doesn't need right now brands to bring something new. It needs brands to understand the culture around it and what it's already being used for and how brands can help push that forward. Um, So I think there's a lot of opportunity here and a lot of opportunity that hasn't even been tapped yet. So potential. I'm so excited for the teens. They've got TikTok. They have their their yik yaks. Now they can sell digital art. Oh, the, the conversations are going to be so much more fun. <laughs> Please save us all. Um, well, friends, this has been quite a journey, and what a fun one! Um, I'm so glad to be back. I'm so glad to have you both. Um, and so that about wraps it up for us this week on the five things. Um, if you don't already, you should follow us on Apple and Spotify. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, points of interest or complaints, or if you just want to tell us how Bryce did last week, please email us at podcastsatgray.com. If you don't already, you should also check out our other podcast, Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas where we talk to founders, creators, and inventors about the ideas that are changing the world. Um, So like I said, that wraps it up for us this week. For Amanda and Juliana, again, thank you. And Danielle behind the scenes, thank you as well. Uh, I'm Joey Scarillo, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks. The Five Things are produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin, with support from post-producer Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.